United Nations, the President of the Republic of Liberia, His Excellency George Manewia, and the people of Liberia say, thank you for job well done. Peace for Liberia. The song you're hearing is titled, We Thank You for Peace in Liberia by the NGO Liberia Crusaders for Peace in Monrovia. And it was performed live in Liberia's capital on March 28, 2018. That was an important date in the history of Liberia and for the United Nations. Days later, Liberia formally bid farewell to UN peacekeepers who had been deployed to the country since 2003. They first deployed in the wake of a brutal civil war that left the country decimated. And now, 15 years later, they were leaving. In this special episode of Global Dispatches podcast, we bring you the story of how UN peacekeepers partnered with the people and government of Liberia to help transform the country from one of the bleakest places on the planet to one of the more hopeful today. This episode is produced in partnership with the United Nations Foundation as part of a special series that examines success stories of multilateral engagement. When the world works together, powerful and lasting change can take place, and the UN peacekeeping mission in Liberia is one good example of that. In this episode, you will hear from Liberians, UN officials, and experts who explain how the UN mission in Liberia, known as UNMIL, was able to work itself out of a job. UNMIL is a success of UN peacekeeping, and this is its story. Eleven years ago, in September 2006, I stood before this august body as the newly elected president of the Republic of Liberia and the first woman to be democratically elected as head of state on the African continent. That's Ellen Johnson Sirleaf speaking before the UN General Assembly in 2017. This was her final address to the UN as president of Liberia, and she had a message to her fellow world leaders gathered in New York that day. Liberia's transformation was powered by a world community that made a shared commitment to deliver peace to a country and a subregion beset by civil conflict and cross-border destabilization. The UN and its partner nations were of one mind, and from that global unity, A new Liberian democratic state was born. Liberia is a post-conflict success story. It is your post-conflict success story. To realize how profoundly remarkable it was that she was able to give this speech in the first place, you need to understand just how deep Liberia had sunk in the decades prior. The civil war that ravaged Liberia was one of the most brutal conflicts in modern history. It erupted in the 1980s and 90s, but the real roots of the conflict go back to the founding of Liberia in the early 1800s by freed black slaves from the United States. It was really such an interesting story because they set up the same kind of 
antebellum society uh, that they had fled from in the United States, except this time they were the ones who were in charge, and the rest of the Africans who were made up Liberia's indigenous population were the became the servants and the workers and fields and that sort of thing. And so you had this two-tier system that was very, very imbalanced. And that stayed in place for 150 years until 1980 when there was a military coup in Liberia. Helene Cooper is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist with the New York Times. She's a descendant of the original founders of Liberia, but fled the country for the United States in 1980 at the age of 12. And native Liberian um, members of the armed forces overthrew the government, uh, killed the president and his cabinet, and installed themselves in power. And that sort of started the, the political chaos that led to the civil war. By 1989, a former government minister named Charles Taylor amassed a rebel army from across the border in Cote d'Ivoire. He invaded Liberia, seeking to topple the man who led that coup in 1980. Thus began 15 years of civil war. Human rights abuses, war crimes, and atrocities were a hallmark of this conflict, which affected not just Liberia, but the entire region, including Cote d'Ivoire, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. In 1999, Jeanette Carter of the NGO Friends of Liberia spoke to NPR about these abuses. Summary executions of people, villages were burned, people were shot, they were hacked to death. Um, there were things like pregnant women having their bellies slit open because the fighters wanted to see whether the baby was a boy or a girl. You have to remember that the war, even the first war, affected every part of the country. There's no Liberian who has not been affected in some way by the war. By 1997, Charles Taylor was in power as president of Liberia. But within two years, rebel factions backed by neighboring countries began mounting assaults on Taylor's forces. By 2003, an alliance of rebels laid siege to Monrovia. The civil war entered a particularly brutal phase, and pressure mounted on the United States to intervene. This is ABC News Nightline. Reporting from Washington, Forrest Sawyer. Look around the West African nation of Liberia, and you'll see echoes of the United States. The country was founded as a home for freed American slaves. The capital city is named after President James Monroe. The soldiers dress like American GIs, and American culture is widely admired. Look around, and you'll also see the fingerprints of the U.S., Washington operates critical intelligence and communication installations there. Military ships and aircraft are permitted to land with just 24 hours notice. So it is an American problem when Liberia sinks into civil war and economic collapse. By July 2003, angry Liberians had begun piling the bodies of their dead friends and relatives outside the U.S. Embassy in Monrovia. Back in Washington, the message was received. Uh, as to how to keep uh, the situation peaceful and stable, one thing has to happen. Mr. Taylor needs to leave the country. In order for there to be peace and stability in Liberia, Charles Taylor needs to leave now. President Bush's call for the ouster of Charles Taylor quickly led to Taylor's demise. 
On August 11, 2003, U.S. warships approached Monrovia. Charles Taylor resigned and was allowed to flee to Nigeria. Three days later, 200 U.S. Marines deployed to Monrovia to support a Nigerian-led and U.N.-backed international force known as Echo Mill. Then, on August 18th, the remaining factions signed a peace agreement setting up a transitional government. Liberia's long, awful civil war had finally ended. But the peace was not secure, and the successful implementation of the peace agreement was far from guaranteed. So, the United Nations Security Council did what it had done 56 times prior. It authorized the deployment of a peacekeeping mission. Good morning. The 6,834th meeting... At its core, UN peacekeeping is a grand bargain between the countries of the world. Wealthier countries provide the bulk of the funding for UN peacekeeping, and the five veto-wielding members of the Security Council, including the United States, have the ultimate say over where blue helmets will deploy, the size and composition of the force, and the tasks that these blue helmets are asked to undertake. But the bulk of the actual troops deployed to UN peacekeeping missions are usually from the developing world. Peter Yeo, who is Senior Vice President at the United Nations Foundation and President of the Better World Campaign, explains. A lot of peacekeepers come from South Asia, from Nepal, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. They're the workhorses of UN peacekeeping. They send tens of thousands of troops to participate in peacekeeping missions around the world. Um, And in fact, there's over 100,000 UN peacekeepers deployed, and uh, they come from dozens of countries. And once they get the nod uh, from the UN, then they deploy to the country, often with their own equipment, in order to serve in the peacekeeping mission under the direction of a neutral UN official, the Secretary General's special representative in that country, uh, as well as a neutral force commander who will do the day-to-day operations as it relates to the troops. In September 2003... The Security Council approved the United Nations mission in Liberia, UNMIL. Up to 15,000 troops and over 1,000 police officers would be deployed to Liberia to shore up the peace agreement and ensure that the ceasefire endures. One of the first tasks of the peacekeeping mission was to disarm former combatants. After decades of war, the country was awash in weapons, and there were thousands of young men in the country whose only marketable skill was knowing how to use those weapons. Unless these ex-combatants laid down their arms and found other forms of employment, the peace agreement would not last long. So the disarmament process was very much about collecting the weapons, Ellen Marguerite Loy is a Danish diplomat who has led a number of UN peacekeeping missions throughout her career. From 2008 to 2012, she led UNMIL, making her the longest-serving head of the UN peacekeeping mission. And then developing uh, various activities, create job opportunities, short-term job opportunities, because the hope was the economy would pick up, but to get them back into society. Compared to the other tasks facing UNMIL, this was rather straightforward. In fact, UN peacekeeping has developed an expertise around this process. They even have an acronym for it, DDR, Disarmament, Demobilization, and Reintegration. 
and within a year, 100,000 ex-combatants had been disarmed. The next major challenge facing the UN and its international partners was helping Liberia provide for its own security. In UN jargon, this is called security sector reform. It is one of the most critical tasks to undertake in post-conflict situations. In order for a fragile peace to take hold, people need to feel safe. To be sure, the presence of 15,000 peacekeepers contributes to that sense of security. Peacekeepers can help fill what's known as the security vacuum, while local forces are trained. And to that end, the UN and the United States split responsibilities. The U.S. would take on the task of standing up a Liberian national army, while it fell to the UN to build a national police force. The armed forces of Liberia was totally scrapped, but you do need some police. So you had some police, but then you had to vet them, how they had been involved in terms of human rights abuses and get rid of the worst ones. And there was a whole process of getting the public to tell who are the best and who are the worst. And then try to recruit new ones and get through a training of how to respect human rights and dealing with public offenses and so on and so forth. It's and and a it's very, a long process, right? Like training a police officer is a, a years long. long process. As the process of training police officers was underway, UN peacekeepers were stationed throughout the country. One of their most important tasks was to ensure that very local conflicts do not spiral out of control to become something much worse. We were positioned around the country and telling people who wanted to jeopardize the peace that they couldn't do so because we were watching. And that would have consequences. The first major test for the UN mission in Liberia was national elections, scheduled for the fall of 2005. The peace agreement that ended the Civil War called for a transitional government until these elections could be held. But holding elections this soon after the end of a civil war would be a daunting task. For one, the country's infrastructure was still in ruins. This presented immense logistical challenges for the process of registering voters. And even getting basic information to Liberian voters about this election was really difficult. So Unmill started its own radio station, Unmill Radio. And this soon became one of the most trusted news outlets in the country. This is Unmill Radio, the official voice of the United Nations. With help Nations from the United Nations, Liberian Unmil election Radio. officials were able to register over 1.3 million people. This was about 90% of all eligible voters in the country. On election day, it fell to the UN to provide security. The mission figured that a show of force would deter election-related violence, so it positioned peacekeepers at every polling station throughout the country. And it worked. The election was held on October 11th without any major violent incidents and was conducted in a way deemed to be free and fair by independent monitors. One of those monitors was former President Jimmy Carter. He spoke to NPR as votes were being counted. Total determination to uh, democracy and freedom. Uh, that seems to be a, a deep commitment of the people of Liberia. They've suffered so much in the past. And I think this is a great, very a vivid and dramatic demonstration 
of the people's uh, commitment to this process of democracy. The October results were not decisive in the presidential field, so a runoff was to be held in November. This pitted Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, a former World Bank economist, against George Weah, an international soccer star. These two were novice politicians who had profoundly different campaign styles, and the election turned very bitter very quickly. But in the end, George Weah conceded to Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and upon her inauguration, she became Africa's first democratically elected female head of state. A new chapter in Liberia's history was born. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf's election was, to a large extent, an acknowledgement of the critical role that women played in ending Liberia's civil war. In those bloody final years of the conflict, an interreligious women's movement, led by a trauma counselor named Lema Bowie, emerged as a powerful force in Liberian politics. The group called itself Women of Liberia Mass Action for Peace, and they staged nonviolent protests against the deprivations of the war. In a dramatic moment, captured in the documentary Pray the Devil Back to Hell, Bowie directly confronts Charles Taylor. We are tired of our children being raped. We are now taking this stand to secure the future of our children because we believe as custodians of society tomorrow, our children will ask us, Mama, what was your role during the crisis? In 2011, Bowie would win the Nobel Peace Prize, along with Ellen Johnson Sirleaf and Yemeni activist Tawakul Karman. They were awarded the prize for, quote, their nonviolent struggle for the safety of women and for women's rights to full participation in peacebuilding work. For its part, Unmill recognized this emerging connection between women, peace, and security in Liberia. So, for the first time in the history of UN peacekeeping, it deployed an all-female police unit. That unit came from India. They were very visible the first time I visited Liberia, which was in 2008 as part of a press corps that was following Bill Clinton around Africa. This unit served as his protection. These police officers definitely stood out, and that was sort of the point. Major General Hugh Van Roosen served as Unmill's force chief of staff, essentially the third in command of the military mission. He explains the tactical value of Unmill's all-female police units. If you put a disciplined, well-organized group of armed women in front of a group of uh, men, it, um, it tends to be sort of a cognitive dissonance, if you will. And um, it, uh, it has the... Uh, uh, ability to sort of throw people off the stride where they might be tempted to sort of thump chests and go up and want to engage with um, uh, male military personnel with weapons. They, uh, they will think twice before doing that with women. Beyond the tactical advantage that these police units provided, Ellen Margaret Loy, who was the top UN peacekeeping official under whom these police officers deployed, saw another added value. And I'm very happy that because of this focus on the Indian form police unit, which in the beginning irritated me a bit because I said, 
their first and foremost police officers. But they created a lot of focus on the role of women in policing. And it led to a lot of Liberian women signing up for the Liberian police force. And that, after all, is the ultimate goal. By the time Ellen Marguerite Loy left Liberia in 2012, another round of elections had passed. Again, the UN provided security, and again, there was no major election-related violence. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf won a second term. Things were looking up. The process of training police and building other government institutions were going well, so well, in fact, that the number of peacekeepers had steadily declined from a peak of 15,000 to fewer than 8,000. In September 2012, the Security Council authorized the further drawdown of the mission. They wanted to close it down, and it brought in a highly regarded international diplomat named Karen Langren as the new head of mission to oversee that process. Langren is a Swede who developed something of a reputation around the UN for successfully helping to close missions, including the missions in Nepal and Burundi. UNMIL would be her next task. I certainly brought the advantage of having drawn down missions before. And in fact, uh, UNMIL had uh, done a strategic assessment in 2012 that was endorsed by the Security Council later that year that the country had made enough progress to start uh, a phased drawdown of, of UNMIL. So I, I can't say that I was brought in expressly to do that, but indeed, that was one of my main tasks once I got there. That was the plan, at least. But then Ebola hit. I'm on my way to one of the most dangerous places on Earth. We're heading straight into the heart of an Ebola outbreak, the worst the world has ever seen. That's Richard Besser of ABC News reporting from a treatment unit in Monrovia. You remember, this is Ebola Zaire. Highly contagious. By the summer of 2014, it seemed as if all hell was breaking loose. It was a really chaotic time. And one thing we did was being present in uh, every one of Liberia's 15 counties, having an international presence. And some of these were very remote locations that were even more isolated by an extreme torrential rainy season, uh, that left us very close to local actors and with a high degree of trust. So we were able to play an honest broker role, uh, supporting local response and coordination, and also sharing facts about Ebola that would be trusted. And once again, Unmill Radio became a useful communications tool. Fever, don't delay, rush to any Ebola healthcare center or call 4455. Meanwhile, specialized peacekeeping units took responsibility for delivering aid to hard-to-reach parts of the country. Unmill transported any a huge quantity of uh, Ebola-related supplies over over those next two or three months, uh, largely overland. So we had a Chinese transport contingent that transported a lot of Ebola supplies all over the country. 
Still, in the summer of 2014, Ebola was raging out of control throughout Liberia. It threatened to undo a decade of progress since the end of the Civil War. There was a fear not just of breakdown of law and order, but that there might be political violence. Uh, the, the fear that some actors might take advantage of Ebola to bring about political change. So there are a whole range of fears out there of what could happen in this chaos. And the fact that Unmill stayed and remained very visible gave an element of stability to this crazy situation that we really couldn't see the end of. Yeah, I mean, that's important. You know, at any point, for example, that Chinese contingent could have just been ordered to leave by the Chinese government, but it seems there was this element of international solidarity um, that manifested itself in at least one way by by sort of having these troop contributing countries keep their troops in in Liberia at the time. We had to show that we could keep them safe. By the fall of 2014, the outbreak was mostly contained. By September 2015, the World Health Organization would declare the Ebola outbreak formally over in Liberia. But that was not before Ebola would claim the lives of more than 5,000 Liberians. It was the country hit hardest by this outbreak. With the outbreak over, Unmill's focus once again turned to working itself out of a job. The last great potential security challenge facing the mission would be national elections in 2017. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf was term-limited from running for re-election, and unlike elsewhere on the continent, she actually respected those term limits. Meanwhile, her longtime rival George Weah would make a third bid for the presidency. From Unmill's perspective, this time around, they would have a very light footprint. The election took place just after 2017. Again, there was no major election-related violence. George Weah won the election, and for the first time since 1944, there was a peaceful transfer of power in Liberia. To be sure, Liberia's challenges remain profound. The health system is still recovering from the devastation of the Ebola outbreak. Unemployment remains very high, and the country is still one of the poorer countries on the planet. But the threat of war and political violence is no longer acute. A national police has been stood up, and on March 30th, 2018, the very last UN peacekeepers left the country. Shortly after leaving office, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf spoke to Amanda Glassman of the Center for Global Development about the value of having UN peacekeepers in the country for so long. Uh, we always say that the primary responsibility for our own stability and peace rested on our own security forces. Absolutely. Uh, but having a UN peacekeeping force uh, provided the means for support and also was a good deterrence for those who may have thought that they could, they could bring violence. Mm -hmm. We're so glad that it's come to an end, however, because that's a clear recognition that the country has now earned its peace mm -hmm. and can be considered uh, normal and can participate uh, normally uh, with uh, investors knowing that there's no need for a UN peacekeeping force. That's a great sign of, of success and progress. 
The UN still has a robust presence in Liberia, particularly the UN Development Program, UNICEF, and other UN humanitarian and development bodies, but security is now firmly in the hands of the government of Liberia. Today, there are over 110,000 UN peacekeepers serving in 14 operations around the world. Some of these missions, like South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo, are exceedingly difficult, and success seems very far off. But the mission in Liberia demonstrates that success is possible. It won't come overnight. It took UNMIL 15 years to ultimately accomplish its mission. But with sustained investment, peacekeeping can be a meaningful tool of multilateral engagement. Liberia's transition as a country beset by a war to a country firmly at peace is an accomplishment that belongs first and foremost to the people of Liberia. Liberians deserve the credit. But this success is also one that was shared by the international community in general and UN peacekeeping in particular. UNMIL is a profound demonstration of the success that's possible when the international community partners with the people and a government ready and willing to make peace. <laughs>